Hello, and welcome back to Relentless Optimism, a podcast exploring how positive behaviour support can help people with brain injury behave in a way that enables them to live their best life. I'm Dr. Kate Gould, and today I'm really delighted to introduce you to a person who's been involved since the very beginning of our project. Jeremy is a thoughtful, passionate and articulate person and he's got a really unique perspective on life and what he's gained from PBS+. I've definitely learned a lot from working with him too. Joining Jeremy is his very supportive dad, Shane, and Dr Belinda Renison, a multi-talented occupational therapist and neuropsychologist who's also worked with us during the program. So welcome, Jeremy. Hi, Kate. And Shane. Hello, Kate. And Belinda. Hi, Kate. Jeremy, can you tell me a bit about yourself and what was going on in your life before you joined our project? Um, I had my car accident um, when I was 19 years of age. Um, It was uh, quite a severe crash. Um, I spent uh, a week with um, a drug-induced coma, followed by a month, possibly two months, of post-traumatic amnesia. Then I went to a rehabilitation unit where my memory starts to return. Um, Since that period of time, um, it's been a long journey um, moving forward. Uh, Things have been quite frustrating at times. Um, There's a lot to do with my disability that aren't um, completely understood or visible things. Um, and things often, uh, as time goes by, um, my ailments um, uh, change and um, become worse and my body deteriorates. So that's something else that I have to consider as I move forward. So you've, you've had a really quite significant injury and then continued to have problems related to that along the way. When we met you, you were living at your dad's place and you'd been trying to work, get some work as a security guard. What else was going on for you at that time? Um, it was really hard um, for me at that time, Kate, because I kept trying um, to move forward myself and be independent. Um, my, my pride is something that I have struggled with for a long time of being too proud to accept um, assistance that was actually there um, and support that was on offer. Um, But after years of turning that um, away, um, I'd just come to realise after applying for numerous jobs and trying to get back into the job industry um, and employment um, that that I was repeating the same cycle that I keep going through where... I'll try to do things myself and I um, want to be proud of myself and independent, yet at the same time, if I repeat the same actions, then I'm going to end up in the same place where it's not going to suit me and I'm not going to have any firm, stable um, life or grounding to work from. So, Jeremy, can you tell us about some of those, you talk about repeating those actions and them not kind of moving you in a direction forward that you're wanting to be headed can you tell us or describe what those actions were? Um, it's just mostly um, I don't – I struggle to have a filter and a fuse. Um, 
I don't realize that I am so blunt at times. Um, and when I get frustrated or if I haven't been sleeping due to my pain, um, then my fuse is a lot shorter or it's even sometimes non-existent. Um, and trying to fit into a normal life and have a normal routine and everything, um, it's not my ability to operate in normal society wasn't the best because of my lack of sleep and, and my frustration and um, having to control my emotions um, and emotional stability um, is the hardest thing because that in a lot of terms, if you deal and interact with public, you have to be able to have a filter and you have to be politically correct and you have to know how to handle people. Or it, you know, you're only meeting a person for a brief period of time, but they're going to form an opinion of you. And then you have to interact with that person until the action is over of whatever you're trying to do. So um, I would often get to a point where I would be that frustrated that I would snap or I would lose my cool and then it would all these things that I've worked so hard to get or to achieve would all fall apart in the drop of a hat. And it's that one straw that breaks the camel's back that I've got to stop dropping on myself because once you do that, then it's too late and then everything falls apart. So, yeah. And how how did that impact you in an everyday setting? What were the kinds of things that those sort of snapping and tempers would interfere with? Um, well, it interferes with my interaction with the public in general. Um, trying to be part of a, a work group or a work team. I mean, there's always the workplace politics um, and these Politics is something that's unwritten and it's just the social unwritten rules that you have to follow. And it, it it's hard for me to grasp these or um, I think due to my ABI, um, I think that I'm realising a lot and I'm on point and I'm understanding things. But then at the same time, I just sometimes I'm, I'm clueless and things go over my head, but I, I think I'm on point. So... Yeah, it, I've got to take a step back to uh, double check and reread things and stuff sometimes. So yeah. I, I think what's amazing hearing you talk, Jeremy, is that you're so um, clued up about your cluelessness, <laughs> that you have a lot of insight about what those difficulties have been for you. And I, it's really obvious how you know much you've thought and worked on achieving that way of thinking. So today we're going to really focus on the topic of theory of mind, which is the ability to really understand someone else's beliefs, their desires and their intentions. And it is a really important skill needed in all of our social interactions and social kind of thinking or cognition. We've found that it tends to develop very early in life when children are around three to five years old. And back in the 80s, a guy named Simon Baron-Cohen, and that name might sound familiar because he's actually the cousin of the actor, Sasha Baron-Cohen, he first sort of wrote about theory of mind and how it was really impaired in children with autism. 
And then as the research has moved on, it's been shown in a number of studies that people with acquired brain injury also really struggle with theory of mind, whereas they didn't before their injury. And Belinda, do you want to tell us a little bit about how having an impaired theory of mind or impaired ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes could impact somebody after a brain injury? Mm, Sure. I I think the first thing to recognise, obviously, is it's very different for everyone and not every person that has an ABI has this difficulty. But as Kate, you've said, it it can be very common. Um, And it really is, I, I guess it has a fundamental impact on any human interaction or relationship. Um... When we're interacting with others, what we do is we often adjust what we say or do by predicting how that's being perceived by people around us um, and how it will impact on that person. And if we think about it, it's actually a really complex skill that can be affected by brain injury. So not only do we need to be able to think about what we're doing and saying, but we also need to consider what the other person might be thinking and feeling. And then we, on top of that, we need to be able to predict how our actions are going to impact on another person and then modify our approach if need be if we're predicting it's going to result in a negative outcome. So this can make relationships really difficult if we don't have this ability. What can happen sometimes is that people can end up saying things that are quite hurtful or appear to lack compassion for the other person. And not only that, often the person with the ABI may not even realise the impact that that's having on someone else. They may not even be aware that they've said or done something that's been upsetting for the other person. Or they may only be aware of it after the event. And Jeremy will probably talk a bit later, I think, for you, my initial perception when I met you was that you were very, very aware of it after the event, but it was that online kind of um, monitoring and predicting and modifying your behaviour in the moment that was really, really tough. When it comes to things that I don't understand and I disagree with, um, that's when I struggle because that's when... I, my emotions and my, um, my aggression and, um, anger all builds up. And then if interacting with public, if I just do the one wrong thing or snap or that straw does break my back and I lose my cool, then everything can fall apart. Shane, what's your take on Jeremy's ability to think about things from other people's perspective? Well, I think Jess is forgotten that there was a point in time after the accident where he wouldn't give a toss about what anyone thought. Um, It was violent, um, aggressive, and now he's actually considering what other people think and he's able to put a check, well, he puts checks in place now. So he's come a very long way in that regard. Um, I I may have come a long way, um, but... Still at times, um, I still struggle to um, to stay um, on board like that because to to actually when when you're depressed and you're not giving 
really two shits about the world or any people that live in it, then it's hard to um, consider things outside of that box um, and that negative box that you carry around um, bring brings about negative actions and it brings about ne- negative experiences, um, which is something that you don't, if you're overwhelmed and you've got this big layer of darkness and negativity on you, then you don't care about other people. You don't consider what they're going through or what they're experiencing. It just doesn't matter. You don't, you don't care about their, their health or well-being. So that's what was hard when I was in that mind frame. But now that I'm more positive, I'm able to consider people um, and what they're going through and what they're experiencing and not just what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing. Jeremy, I think a really impressive example you gave us towards the end of therapy where you was it was really clear that you'd really taken on board this approach and were using it in your everyday life was when you mentioned that a neighbour had parked in your car spot outside your place and you spoke about your thoughts on what might be going on for them in their life. Now that I've got more... Um, things in place, um, steps and procedures to keep myself maintained of operating correctly as such in society, I try to handle things in a manner that is polite and respectful. But if I keep trying to do things a few times and then I still get disrespected for it, that's when I snap. And there's points, and the one you're mentioning, Kate, where I was about to snap, and I'd had enough. I'd had enough of my next door neighbor and his shit and his disrespect. Um, and the fact that he didn't consider anything that of what I was wanting and needing, it was just about him and what was easiest for him. Um, but there was a tipping point there where one day I went to park my car and I couldn't park my car. My, my legs are in a lot of pain. It means that I've got to walk down a huge hill to get to the front door. And he'd parked in my, my parking spot again. And I was ready to slash his tires. I'd, I'd had enough and I needed to make a clear-cut message to him. I'd written him notes. I'd confronted him and verbally, politely discussed with him that this needed to change and stop. Um, and then it reoccurred again and that was it. I was ready to take action and law into my own hands and sort him out. Um, but when I went up to take action and I was ready to... Um, lose my cool. Um, I walked up to the car spot and I noticed that there was another car that was parking in his spot. So, and I'm pretty sure it was actually his partner's mother. So if his grandma is staying over and he had to park in my spot because she was parking in his spot, well, that's not really fair of me to say that's my spot and for me to damage his car. Um, and if I didn't bring myself back to, to my, that moment in time and what, what my actions could have done, then that would have, um, it would have uh, exacerbated from there, it would have kept happening and the cycle would have kept happening because if I had done that action, then I would have got retaliation from him or I would have been reported to the police. Or even if I didn't have to worry about that because I had an alibi, it doesn't matter because that still friction there between me and my neighbor where you just want peace in your own 
comfort zone. So, yeah. So using your ability now to step into his shoes and think about what was going on in his life was a real tool to then think also about the consequences of different options you had in dealing with that situation. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, the hardest part is when emotion brings cloud, cloud to your judgment and thought and the more emotional I am or the more uh, upset or aggressive I am, the less I think. And that's when you take actions and, and um, do things that you regret because you're not thinking about what you're doing, you're just doing them and then you regret them, mm-hmm. um, which is something that is a hard thing to, and as you said before, Belinda, it's very tiring staying on board of that all the time, but there's going to be moments in life and with society where I need to pull myself back before I do step over and go too far. So, yeah. And how are you pulling yourself back? What are you, what's, what thoughts or strategies are going through your mind to help you pull yourself back when you're feeling so angry about something? Um, I, I find breathing has a lot to do with it. Um, if I, um, one of my friends, um, she told me to USA, um, and that is getting, um, my negative vibe out and to chill. And I go, USA. And that just helps me release and um, brings me back to the point of I'm here now, what do I do? If I do this, then that's going to happen. Or if I do that, that's going to happen. So what is the best thing to do right now? And to remove, to, to bring myself back to that point in time that I'm here and where I go from here matters on what decision I make right now, brings me out of the headspace of, I just want to hurt or attack or I just want to demolish whatever's upsetting me or is frustrating me because I can't sort it out or fix it in all these manners of steps that I've taken. So, yeah. So, Belinda, I think people are going to be really interested to know how we did this work with Jeremy to to help him be able to get that insight and stop and reflect on his own behaviour and consequences and also other people's perspectives in a situation. Sure. I think, as Jeremy and his dad highlighted before, one of the first steps was really around trying to address the depression um, so that Jeremy mood was able to improve to a level where he actually did care about what other people thought um, so that he was actually could see a point of actually putting himself in their shoes and seeing things from their perspective. Um, We were really incredibly lucky with you, Jeremy, in that you were so insightful and so reflective already. You, you had more difficulty when we first met you doing that reflection and monitoring in the moment, but afterwards you were very reflective. So when we would meet, you would usually have a couple of examples of times during the week where you may have lost your cool. And so we spent quite a bit of time doing redos about how you may be able to do things differently next time. And you were also really aware of your triggers And so that provided opportunities to look at planning and predicting for the weeks ahead as to whether there were going to be any kind of hotspots or key moments in your week where you would need to be able to really 
stop and think and put yourself in someone else's shoes and view things from their perspective or predict and plan how it was going to impact on your outcome that you were trying to achieve and therefore develop a plan of how you might manage that situation? Um, the, the depression um, was actually brought on by my pain and, and my lack of sleep, um, which was feeding the depression, which was what was making me um, be in that headspace. Um, I think when you guys came on board, um, the hardest hardest thing for me was I wasn't really evaluating um, my actions or what I was actually doing. Um, when I, ha I had that material for you guys um, when we caught up in between sessions because when I was, I was constantly in, in the mind frame of um, my actions and how other people would perceive them um, because there was things that I would have done in the past and I started to do something in public, like raise my voice at someone or, um, I don't know, slam a door or whatever. And when I see other people do it and I, I shake my head at them, I think that's not really socially acceptable. But then at the same time, that's the things that I was doing that I don't even, when I've got my blinkers on and I'm not considering um, my actions or how I'm affecting other people, then I don't consider um yeah what i'm doing i think some of the other tools that we used with with you jeremy were some scripts around thinking about what you could control about a situation and what you couldn't and really identifying that we can't control another person's behavior but sometimes that was something that would really frustrate you about how someone else behaved so i think we started out with the script of what I should do versus what they should do and to really notice when you were starting to think about they should be doing this, they should be doing that, that those were signs to you that you were getting upset about something you couldn't control and then to sort of switch your thinking back to thinking of what you could do in this situation, what you should be doing, how you want to behave and then building into that one of the tools was that you could be thinking about their situation from their perspective as a way to sort of slow down and, and help you plan about how you wanted to deal with a tricky situation. And I think that's something that was really cool about your um, very insightful ability was you really absorbed a lot of those scripts and you also came up with a lot of metaphors, you know, what's in the shit bucket, um, what's in the Jeremy bubble, and also looking at what's, what's out of that outside of your bubble and, and what's going on in the world around you or in the other relationships that you had? Um, yeah, I, I find um, metaphors help me um, express what I'm wanting someone to understand. Um, if I can't, ex I, if I, I struggle to explain something, but I often find that if I think of it in the light of a metaphor, I look outside the box and it, it gives a broader perspective on what I'm trying to um, get across. What What do you think is one key idea that would be really helpful as a tip 
for other people trying to do this work or trying to help someone they're supporting do theory of mind well? I think theory, theory, theory of mind is all about um, our everyone's mind's different. So theory of mind for each person is going to be different. Um, I think you need to you need to look at yourself, um, which is what helped me. Um, if you look at yourself and you evaluate yourself and you actually come to realizations about things about yourself and about other people, um, but until you've evaluated and you've come to those realizations, then you, you can't really, you haven't got anything to work on. But once you've done that, then you can, once you've identified what you need to change in your personality or to, um, not so much change, but perhaps alter in your personality um, so that you're a model member of society and you can actually um, walk around with your head up and get respect. Yeah. So it's been a few years, Jeremy, since we worked with you in the PBS Plus program. And it sounds like you've continued to apply some of the strategies and some of the use some of the tools. Where do, would you say life is now for you? Um, I I think it's on a, a much better track. Um, I finally have some stability um, and some routine, which is good. Um, I now have a support network that is there. Um, that all communicate with each other, which is a, a really beneficial thing. Um, it's it's still a constant thing that um, it's never something that's going to be all right or fixed. But um, I'm on on track now to keep everything online to get somewhere in life and actually have a life. That's so fantastic to hear that, Jeremy. And I hope you're really proud of the work you and and Shane and your team have all been doing to, to be able to, to say that and feel so positive about where you're at and the support you have. What are the kind of one or two things that are the current focus for you or the, the things you're still working towards? Um, I've just um, keep pushing to be more independent and have my own life where I'm able to make my own decisions um, and I'll, I'll keep working on that until I have my own space and my own zone and it's the closest to what I could have before I acquired my disability but from all the things that I've had to sacrifice or realise that I'm not going to have in my life I've had to embrace and nurture the things that I do have still. Yeah. I think that's something that will resonate with a lot of people wanting to be more independent and have your own space and live the life the way you want, which is such an important thing for everyone and a key aspect of PBS+. Plus. What makes you feel optimistic these days about your future? I feel I'm actually understood and heard a bit more now. Um, I feel like people are starting to listen to people who were putting their hand up but weren't being heard. 
Um, and I think now that um, we're on the path to understanding people better um, and the way that we, um, with theory of mind, the, the way that we all operate, um, it's, it's hard to do. <laughs> it's a complicated thing to do as a normal person that hasn't got an acquired brain injury. Um, but to add that to the mix, um, make thing, makes things a lot harder than it already is for the normal person. Um, but yeah, I'm just so glad that I'm, my voice is being heard. And we're so glad to hear it. Thank you so much, Jeremy and Shane and Belinda for generously coming today and just giving us an amazing account of your story and your journey. All right. You're most welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Kate. So the PBS Plus website is monash.edu forward slash PBS PLUS. You can sign up to stay in the loop about our training opportunities and our latest research. We're also on Twitter at Relentless Opt and Facebook Relentless Optimism Podcasts. If you have any questions or you want to continue a conversation, please feel free to reach out by social media or email. That's relentless.optimism at monash.edu. This podcast is produced by me, Kate Gould and Kiara Corso. Editing by James McPherson. Graphics by Kat Orgallo of Zenzi Design and Trevor. Also, as a disclaimer, this podcast is for general educational and informational purposes, and it is not a replacement for personal medical or therapeutic advice. So please consult your healthcare professionals for any medical or therapy questions or to arrange access to support. And I hope you come away from each episode feeling relentlessly optimistic that there is always something that works.